Good morning, everybody. How are we all doing? Glad, glad Chris is doing fine. The rest of you, who knows? Um, I'm Ben. I'm the vicar here. If this is one of your first weeks within the last four months or so, um, I'm the new vicar here, and it's wonderful to be able to be speaking to you this morning on our new series that we started last week looking at the book of Haggai. Now, before I speak, let me pray. Father God, as your prophet spoke um, thousands of years ago, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that as we look at the words you spoke to your people, that you would speak to us, and I pray that we would have open hearts to hear your voice. Amen. So, some of you will know, others might not know, but I have two children. I have two children called Annabelle and Florence. Uh, Florence is six and Annabelle is just about to turn nine. Her birthday is on Tuesday. Very exciting. Now, my child turning nine is sort of a realisation moment for me because it's halfway to 18. And that means it could be halfway through the time that I'm going to live with her for. Now, I realise that lots and lots of people still live with their parents beyond the age of 18. But at that age, some people can leave home and they might not come back. Now, I think you get two kinds of parents in this world. Some who can't wait for their children to move out. They can't wait for a bit of peace and quiet. They can't wait for some cheaper holidays again. Others who need to start stocking their cupboards already with ice cream, tissues and wine in preparation for the day their child will move out of home. I don't ever want my children to leave home and I am dreading the day that they will have to leave. I think the world already needs to start producing the amount of ice cream I'm going to need for the day they're going to leave home. Maybe the teenage years will change all of this. And maybe those of you with teenagers who are nodding at me uh, furiously, maybe that will all burst my bubble a little bit. But at the moment, I love being with both of them. They're sometimes a little bit annoying. Sometimes I want some more time to myself. Sometimes I don't want to taxi them around every single evening. Sometimes I can be short with them. Sometimes I'm not the best parent, but I love living with them. I love curling up in bed and snuggling with them at night. I love seeing them smile. I love hearing about their day. And the really good thing about the age that they're currently at is that they like being with me. Now, unfortunately, that includes the times that I would rather have some time on my own and have some peace and quiet, but I would much rather have it that way. They always want to play with me, they want to talk to me, they want to read with me, they want to wrestle with me, they want to tell unfunny jokes to me, they want to try and play hide and seek when it's bedtime with me. I nearly always want to be with them, and currently, unless they're having screen time when they want absolutely nothing to do with me, uh, they want to be with me. Now, I realise we will get to an age when that might not be so obvious, but my hope is that as they grow older, this wouldn't just be a one-sided relationship. We would always enjoy being with each other. 
Last week, as I said, we started our new preaching series looking at the book of Haggai. Haggai was a prophet who spoke to God's people roughly 500 years before Jesus came. God's people, the Israelites, were attacked by the Babylonians 60 years earlier. And the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, including the temple, and all the Israelites were taken off to Babylon. A few decades later, though, a new king comes and he allows some of the Israelites to come back home to the destroyed city of Jerusalem and to the destroyed temple. And Haggai was one of the Israelites who came back to Jerusalem. And Frank spoke last week from verses 1 and 2, where the people said, The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. From Exodus, God had lived with his people in either a tent or in a temple. In Exodus 25, he asked Moses, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. The temple was where God lived. It was where heaven connected to earth. It was where mortal people met with an immortal God. It was where God's presence was most tangible. It was God's dwelling place, God's house. To understand the book of Haggai or why the temple was so important is to understand that a loving father wants to be with his children. A loving father wants to be close to his children. A loving God wants to be with his children. A loving God wants to be close to his children. God always wants to be with us and never wants to be apart from us. From creation to Haggai's time to now. And unlike today, in Haggai's time and in much of the Old Testament... For God to dwell with his people, he needed a house, a temple to dwell in. This book is not about a building. The building just represents something deeper, something more important. This book is about whether a divine father who delights, loves and always wants to be with his children is wanted or loved in return. The temple just represents that choice. Is this a one-sided relationship where God opens his heart to his people and they reject him? Or is this a two-sided relationship where a father embraces his children and they embrace him back? The book of Haggai doesn't get off to the best of starts in the first two verses. And Frank spoke last week about the Israelites saying, The time has not yet come to build the temple. Well, it doesn't really get much better in verses 3 and 4. It says, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? God's house lies in ruins while their houses are complete. The Israelites don't have the time or money to build God a house but they have the time and the money to build themselves a house. They have made the choice to build themselves houses so that they can dwell. They've made the choice to abandon God's house so that he cannot dwell. When they returned to Israel, everything was in ruins, but they look first to themselves, to their own needs, wants, desires and comfort. My time is now. God's time is not now. This is an inconvenient time for God, but not an inconvenient time for me. 
Their argument that the time has not yet come looks slightly hollow in the face of their panelled houses. This is not a question of time or money. This is a question of priorities. And the God who opens his heart to his children is rejected. For many of us, life is full and life is busy. There are countless things pulling for our time, money and energy. And some of these things we just have to do and some of these things we choose to do. But even in the busyness of life, people can make time for the things they love, they care about, are important to them, they are addicted to, they want to do. For some people that might be the gym, for others that's a hobby or a group of friends, for others that's a Netflix show or 24 million of them, or maybe that's just spending time on phones. Maybe for some that's to work all hours of the day. The point is we all make choices with how we spend our time, our money and our energy. And I wonder where God fits into the mix. Is he a priority or is he at best an afterthought? Where God fits into the mix doesn't necessarily reflect the stage of life we're in. I think it more reflects where our heart is. It reflects what we really think and feel about God. Time, money and energy will be given to things we care about. Limited time, money and energy will not be given to things low down on our priority list. For the Israelites, the question was not about a building. The question was, do you care about God? Or is this just a one-sided relationship? That same question echoes across the years and lands with us today. Do we care about God? Or is it just a one-sided relationship? God wants to walk with us, to live with us, to be a part of our lives. That is never in any doubt. But if we're honest, if we look at how we spend our time, our money and our energy... Is God really a priority? Are we building our own life separate from God? Or are we building a life with God? The Israelites were faced with God asking them this question. Am I important in your life? We face that same question. Is God important in our life? Haggai continues in verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. The result of the Israelites' lives is disappointment. They invest but get little back. They eat, but are still hungry. They drink, but are still thirsty. They put on clothes, but are still cold. They work, but at the end of the month, all their pay has disappeared. The Israelites are not living in complete poverty. They have these panelled houses, but they are profoundly dissatisfied. Is what we prioritise bringing meaning to our lives? 
I wonder what a similar list of disappointments might look like in today's world. They have a partner but don't feel whole. They are famous but feel lonely. They earn a good wage but never have quite enough. They go to the gym but their body is never good enough. They scroll for hours on their phone but never find a connection. They sleep around but never find love. They lead a comfortable life but are not satisfied. They go to church but have not yet found God. The irony of modern life is that it can be so full and so empty at the same time. Disappointment, dissatisfaction and emptiness in this life can be the whisper of God saying, come to me, all you who are disappointed, dissatisfied, empty and weary, and I will give you rest. The Israelites had pushed God aside and find the emptiness of a life lived without God. And even though God has been pushed aside by his children, in verse 8, he invites them to go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured. God asked them to rebuild the temple for his pleasure and for his honour. If the people rebuild the temple, God will be delighted and it will be a sign that the people want God to dwell with them again. It wouldn't be easy, it would be unglamorous, it would take time, effort and money. But he will honour their desires with his presence. And then we get to the final section of the passage where Haggai expands on what he's already been saying. You expected much but see it turn out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. There is a contrast between the two houses, the house of God and the houses of the people. One lies in ruins, while the other is panelled, and they are busy making it home. God is homeless while they are comfortable. They are apathetic towards God's house. They are highly motivated when it comes to their own. In a time where God no longer simply dwells in a temple, I wonder what we could replace temple with today. My church remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. My kingdom remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Our relationship remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. We finish today's passage with these words. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, On the grain, the new wine, the olive oil and everything else the ground produces. On people and livestock and on all the labour of your hands. The Israelite situation echoes the book of Deuteronomy which was written hundreds of years before. Where the Israelites, God's same people, were told what would happen if they stopped following God. And God stopped dwelling amongst them. In Deuteronomy 28 it says... You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little. 
because locusts will devour it. You'll plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes because worms will eat them. You'll have olive trees throughout your country, but you will not use the oil because the olives will drop off. Where God's presence is, there is life. Where God is absent, there is emptiness. In the Old Testament, what happens in the spiritual bleeds into the physical, emotional, societal and economic life of his people. Over and over again, the people of God learn the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 6. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. With God, there is hope. Without God, there is despair. With God, there is joy. Without God, there is emptiness. With God, there is life. Without God, there is death. The Old Testament, as many of you will know, is written in Hebrew. And this connection between the drought we hear about in this final section of the passage and the temple lying in ruin is made clear in the original language. The ruin, or harev, is connected to the drought, or horev. The Hebrew words connect the idea that both the temple and the earth are desolate and lie as wasteland. One is the cause of the other. Emptiness in one leads to emptiness in another. The earth cracks and dries as it silently calls out for God's presence to reign upon it. In this world... After God came in the person of Jesus, God's presence, his spirit, is found most fully in his church, in his people, in us. In our world today, that is cracked and dry and calls out for God's presence to reign upon it, it is us, God's presence holders, that have the task of bringing his presence to others. In our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighbourhoods, in our town. The presence of God is not simply for us. A valuable antique that we clutch to closely and try to preserve. The presence of God is for this world. A cracked and dry world that is silently crying out for hope, justice, mercy, joy and love. The temple was not simply for Israel, it was for the world, so that all people could know God. The church, God's kingdom, our lives are not simply for ourselves, they are for the world, so that all people may know God. We lay down our church, our own kingdoms and our lives in the footsteps of the one that laid down his life upon a cross so that others might find life. We change our priorities away from ourselves. We stop busily building our own kingdoms. We look away from ourselves and we look towards the God that has never stopped looking to us. God being with us is not simply a gift for us to own. It is a gift for us to share. At the beginning, I mentioned how I didn't want Annabelle and Florence to leave home. And my deep fear is that they might grow up and we might have a one-sided relationship. Where I care way more about them than they care about me. Where my love is not really reciprocated. 
where I'm forgotten maybe through them growing up and just getting busy with life, where there's even a chance that they could leave my fingertips and I can't get them back. A one-sided relationship with your child would be really difficult. This one-sided relationship is what God faces in the book of Haggai, where God cares way more about the Israelites than they care about him, where love is not really reciprocated, where God is forgotten by them getting busy with other things, where they have left God's fingertips and he's trying to get them back. God sends Haggai not as a punishment, but as a parent trying to find their lost child. The Israelites' priorities were all over the place. God's priority was always them. How can I live with them again? How can I find them? How can I speak to them? How can I love them? How can I have a two-sided relationship? This one-sided relationship is what God faces with many of us, where God cares way more about us than we care about him where love is not really reciprocated, where God is forgotten by us getting busy with other things, where we have left God's fingertips and he's just trying to get us back. Our priorities are often all over the place. God's priority is always us. God's priority is always you. That is unchanging constant, dependable and ageless. The only question is, will this be a one-sided relationship or not? And this is true for people who have been coming to church their whole lives, that maybe this is your first time in church. The Israelites were God's chosen people and they got all their priorities wrong. Where are our priorities Does God have a home in our lives or in our church? Is God in a one-sided relationship with us? And if so, what are we going to do about it? What do we need to change to prioritise God? Let me pray. We're going to have a moment of quiet just to reflect on in the many words that I've said this morning and the the many things I've said. What does God want to say to you this morning? What does God want to whisper to your heart this morning?